Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? to give you a little advice there's a force in the universe that makes things happen and all you have to do is get in touch with it stop thinking let things happen and be the ball screws fall out all the time the world's an imperfect place Don't forget to breathe. Very important. Go that way. Really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And why all those Amphir and 80s movie wisdom? Because today we learn about the book, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace, by chatting with author Chris Clues. You had to be big shots, didn't you? You had to show off. When are you going to learn people like you for what you are, not for what you can give them? Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more when you join at patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Steve, please tell me that it's not when you get old your heart dies. That's a lot of pan flute there, Brad. Yeah, and you thought I was a dork for playing the bassoon? I'm a nerd, too. I just found that out tonight. We have news for the beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. No, seriously, Karate Kid, Better Off Ted, Caddyshack, those are just a few of the 80s movies that author Chris Clues references in his series of books, which are titled <clears throat> What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. Chris has two books out, part one and part two. Each of them reference 10 movies uh, from our beloved decade, and it reveals what these movies subliminally or not so subliminally, which I can't believe I said it at least 50% right, taught us about our future jobs and workplaces. Excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! So Chris lives here in Florida. He had a long career in marketing before he made the brave jump to be a full-time author and inspirational speaker. And it's all thanks to his love of the 80s. Hey, it's a fun conversation, really more of a chat. And when it's over, we will have full seggies, including Lister Mailbag, PPTMN, and we'll finally reveal the name of the TV show theme song that only three people could identify. Aha! 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 What do you know from funny, you bastard? But in the meantime, settle back and enjoy this conversation with author Chris Clues. Chris Clues, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Thanks, Steve. I'm so excited to be here. Thank yeah. you so much. 
been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Um, first thing first, I have to compliment you on your books, uh, what 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace. And here's the reason why. I am jealous of anyone who can turn our love of the 80s into an actual career. Well, I appreciate that. And I got to tell you, uh, the first time that I was sitting in an airport, I was getting ready to go to a speaking gig to talk about what 80s pop culture teaches us about the workplace. And somebody asked me what I did for a living. And I said, you know, I speak about 80s pop culture and the lessons we can get from it. And he just looked at me and shook his head and said, how the hell did you manage that? <laughs> um, that, was, that was a defining moment for me because I absolutely love 80s pop culture. Just to gauge your age, according to mine, what year did you graduate from high school? I graduated in 88. So okay. I actually just turned 50 two weeks ago. Oh, nice. So yeah. So you realize that the, uh, the, the warranty on your body is now expired and everything you, from now on you have to pay full price for, right? I do. And I also know now that I get a free cooler if I join AARP. So, so you're about three years younger than me. So you spent, so 88 is about perfect. You spent like all your high school years, probably a couple of middle school years and a couple of college years in the 80s. So the form, all your formative years. Everything, the way I describe it is pretty much everything I did for the first time in my life I did in the 80s. That's good. Good, bad, and indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> that changes <laughs> when you turn 50, you realize. There's a few, there's a few medical uh, procedures coming up that you're not going to like quite so much as the uh, things you did in the 80s. I'm putting those off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what events from that decade, pop culture-wise or otherwise, have, have really stuck with you over the years? I'm from Baltimore originally. I grew up in Baltimore. I live in Florida now, uh, just like a lot of people from the Northeast. And... Uh, I was 16 years old when Lenny Bias, who was the number one pick for the Boston Celtics, uh, got drafted number, number, overall number one and then promptly died of a cocaine overdose. Mm. And that had a huge impact on me and my friends in terms of like, hey, we looked at this guy as immortal. He was a god to, in our eyes. He played for the University of Maryland, Maryland Terps. He was a Baltimore guy through and through. And, uh, and then we wake up and he's gone. Yeah. Uh, huge impact. Huge impact. Yeah, I, I remember that happening, and I think the, the impact it had on me and my friends was that um, all the dumb, stupid shit we'd done up to that point in our lives, we all agreed 100% that we would never touch cocaine after that happened. Yeah, and, I think we were in the same boat. <laughs> I don't, and I've still never seen it, so, so I guess that's yeah. worked out for me. Yeah, it was re it's really, I mean, to this day, it's still just, whenever I hear his name, I just, uh, it's just, a, I... I think there's some positives that came out of it. You talked about it like a lot of kids would have looked at that and said, no way, I'm not doing that. But then the negative, of course, for the city of Baltimore is I really think that there was a lot he could have done and would have done for the city um, if he lived you know, a, a, a normal life. What other events from that decade? Uh, my prom, my senior prom. Do you still remember the theme? I do remember the theme and... Uh, so this kind of goes to an 80s movie that I have never seen that people are shocked by. I am a huge Patrick Swayze fan. In fact, my dog, my, res my rescue, I just got five weeks ago. His name is Bodie after Patrick Swayze and Point Break. Right. Not an 80s movie, but feels like an 80s movie. Feels like an 80s movie. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, so our theme song was I Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing. Of course. And I had to hear that song, I don't know, 150 times that night. Uh, <laughs> it, was on, it was etched on all the glasses and all the party favors and everything. I 
had not seen the movie at that point and decided I would never see it after. I have night terrors about that song. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. I wake up in night sweats with that song. And people will tell me like, just, just mute it when that song comes on. I say, you don't understand. Like just knowing that it's coming will freak me out. It's kind of like I was on, uh, <laughs> I used to work, I used to work at Disney and I went on, the, my friends came into town and I took them into the parks. And for some stupid reason, we went on, it's a small world. And of course we choose to go on, it's a small world ride and it breaks down. And the only thing that was still working were the dolls and they were singing, it's a small world, it's a small world. And we were stuck there for 45 minutes. We couldn't get out. We were in the middle of the ride while these weird, horrifying looking dolls were singing, it's a small world. Um, those are two things that keep me up at night. Now, you know, some weird stuff about me. <laughs> That's pretty weird. <laughs> I got I to admit, Dirty Dancing is one of those movies that, um, that I think every guy gets dragged to by a female. Like I think my mom dragged me to see it in the eighties. And then like when you become an adult, then your girlfriends want you to watch it on VHS. And then, you know, then your, then your, your fiance is like, Oh, it's a beautiful movie. You should do a podcast <laughs> on it. And it's like, okay, we'll do a podcast on it. And sooner or later you hope to absorb the beauty and majesty that is dirty dancing. And yet it still escapes me to a large degree. I, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. And, uh, you know, I use it in my speaking gigs because it does get a lot of attention from the crowd. When I ask people, what movie do you think I haven't seen that has Patrick Swayze? Uh, people get upset that I haven't seen Dirty Dancing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a big one. You know, like, it, it, it wasn't until like, I think three years ago that I finally saw E.T. Really? Yeah. See, but okay. here's the thing. And I, and I was, <laughs> I have to ask everyone this. I think there's certain movies that if you don't see it at the right time, you can't see it at all. And when E.T. came out, I think I was 15 years old. And the last thing a 15-year-old wants to do is go see a movie about a bunch of kids and an alien. And so I didn't see it. I wanted to go see Fast Times at Richmond High. I didn't want to see E.T. And so I never saw it until like a few years ago. And I used to always joke. And I, like, here we go. This is like the rabbit hole of the 80s. I used to always joke my, my, my punchline for any movie I haven't seen is, well, I know how it ends. They all die at the end, right? And then I watched E.T. and there's a scene where they almost all die at the end. And I was like, this is some sort of cosmic punishment for my stupid dark humor. But, uh, but, I, <laughs> but of course, they don't all die. They make it and, and we all live every ever, ever after. But still, you know, so your, e your Dirty Dancing is my E.T. So it's funny you mentioned Fast Times and E.T. because I had seen E.T. and I got two things here. One is that I we actually bought tickets for ET and snuck into fast times ah, and yes. <laughs> back in the eighties, you had ushers in the movie theater. Sure. They would walk around and shush people. And if you kept talking, they'd kick you out and they legitimately had the power to do it. And people listen. That's the most insane thing. If you think about like today, people wouldn't listen to that, but they did. Uh, we went into fast times and we had to hide from the ushers with the flashlights looking for kids. I think I was 14, 13, maybe 14. Uh, and the other thing is with E.T., there's only two times that I've really ever cried in a movie. One was uh, E.T. when he was laying on the riverbed and he was you know, pale white and looked like he was going to die. Yeah. I think I was 12 years old. Of course, I lost it. E.T. is going to die. Uh, <laughs> and then I, and then I, I cried for uh, in Castaway when Wilson the volleyball floated away and uh -oh. Tom Hanks is screaming, Wilson, I'm sorry. And I, <laughs> I don't know. I cried for a volleyball and an alien, I guess. Not really sure.
So. Oh God, that's a, that's a good question. I should have I should have had like a list of uh, '80s movies you cried from, but that's that's it's amazing. It's just those two. I think I think I sobbed at the end of uh, Last American Virgin. Yes, you know, yes. When, when Gary drives away alone, and they they cue up the James Ingram song. You know, I did my best, <laughs> but I guess my best wasn't. And you're just like, this is wrong. <laughs> Absolutely, but it's the best. That's the most real ending of any one of those coming of age 80s movies yes it is it is so 100%. let me ask you this yeah how long did it take you after the 80s like like when the 80s ended i, I kind of like said okay the 80s are over let's move on to the 90s but then about i don't know 96 97 i kind of realized that you know i didn't really like the 90s so much and so i went back to the 80s and was, was it the same with you did you did you were you able to leave the 80s for a while and then come back to it well how did it work for you what was the catalyst yeah, it was probably the early 2000s. Uh, I think we got, when we got out of the 90s decade, that was when I really started feeling nostalgic. I turned 30, 31, 32, and I started feeling nostalgic for the time that I was 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, when it really hit me was 2008 when my best friend passed away. And my, I had two best friends growing up. One passed away when I was 23. One passed away when I was 38. And my book's are dedicated to my best friend who passed away in 2008. And I think that's when I really started going back again to the eighties because I realized I had done so much of my life had revolved around these guys and this guy, Dexter in particular, and the things that had happened to me through the eighties, the pop culture, one of the movies that we watched all the time together was Hollywood shuffle, which is a classic eighties movie and highly underrated. Robert Townsend basically put it on his credit cards to produce Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. I highly recommend if you haven't seen it to go see it. And uh, uh, the uh, Keenan Ivory Waynes was introduced in that movie. Um, fantastic movie. Uh, and we watched it together all the time. And I think that was when I started thinking like, gosh, man, I, you know, I really think that was a great decade. And I started going back to it and I started thinking about it, not just from the perspective of, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s, so it has to be the best decade. But I started looking at the pop culture in the 90s and 2000s. And I, I, I realized pretty quickly, I didn't feel like the stories were as good. Yeah. I didn't feel like the music was as good. So what are you doing in your life before the idea comes to write these books? I spent 25, oh, almost 25 years in corporate marketing. So I was, and I, I, I love marketing. I still have a passion for it, but I worked for ad agencies and I worked for companies, both large and small, um, you mostly in leadership roles, the last 15 to 17 years of my career in marketing. So um, I, I did some fun stuff. I, I worked with the UFC. I worked with NCAA basketball. I got really great exposure for somebody who loves sports. I got great exposure to sports marketing. Uh, but there was a time where I just, I felt like I needed to do something for myself there. I needed to see if I could make, you know, all my dreams come true, so to speak. So at this point, you, you start conceiving of an idea for, does it, does, does, it, does it formulate in the vision of a book? Or do you, do you say, oh, I want to write a book. I just don't know how to make the connection between the 80s and a topic that you want to discuss. I mean, how, where, where's the germ come from? Yeah, great question. Uh, so from several places, uh, basically, I was in a job that I just wasn't feeling happy about. And so... I decided I needed to make a change, but I, I really honestly did not know what to do. And I came home one day, I was laying on my couch, having a self-pity party of one, and The Breakfast Club came on, one of my favorite movies. 
And Bender says, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I kind of sat up and I said, wow, man, I'm in an imperfect place. And what am I going to do? Am I going to put those screws back in the same way they were, put that same door up, proverbial door up? Or am I going to find some new screws and a new door and try something different? And it hit me that maybe that was an interesting lesson for life in the workplace. And so I wrote an article on LinkedIn, what the Breakfast Club taught us about the workplace. And I talked about this idea of problem solving in your life and in the workplace when screws fall out. And people responded to it. So I wrote one on Ferris Bueller's Day Off and uh, work-life balance, and people responded to that. And I thought, maybe I had something here. Uh, I was watching The Outsiders. Johnny Cade says, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. I was 47 years old, and I thought, yeah, this is my time. So I wrote the book. I self-published it. I did it for fun. My buddy's a great graphic designer. He did the artwork. And I self-published it on Amazon. Uh, 85-page book just for the hell of it, just to see what would happen. And people started buying it. And so I built a website. And I positioned myself as a speaker on the topic. And I started calling uh, people who hire speakers for conferences and saying, hey, I've got this really cool topic I want to talk to you about. And people started hiring me to speak. And it went from there. Wow, nice. So, so this is going along. And at some point, you feel like you can, you can sever the cord with your regular job. That must yeah. have been a, a hell of a day. It was, uh, yeah, it was an awesome moment. Well, I, was, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was global head of marketing for a, a global company. I was working 12, 13 hours a day. I'd go to the gym after work. I was home by 10 o'clock at night, ate some dinner, sat down at 11 and worked on this stuff. Wow. And I would, that's when I started writing the second book. Till about two or three in the morning, I'd get up at 6.30 and do the same thing all over again. I was taking my vacation days to speak. So if somebody hired me to speak, I'd take two days off, use my vacation days, and I would go speak. Uh, And so that's what I did. And then I finally got to a point where I said, I've got to make a decision here. What am I going to do? And it comes, a lot of times it comes down to people saying, well, as soon as I hit this milestone, then I'll make the move. And as soon as I hit this milestone, because it's comfortable, you're comfortable, you're in a, you're in a good job, you're getting paid well. You've got all the benefits. You've got the comfort of of a secure position and it becomes difficult to leave. So I didn't do milestones. I put a date in the calendar and I said, June 30th. And that was on May 5th, May 14th or 15th, June 30th of that year. I think it was 2018 or 19. uh, I'm leaving. And I put my two weeks in on June 1st because I knew they would need me for a few more days to help. And I left on June 30th. That was it. Didn't look back. So let's get to the meat on the bones here. You've obviously watched a lot of 80s movies to write these books. So the obvious first question I've had from the very beginning is, are there particular movies that you think are overly abundant in workplace advice or are there particular screenwriters or directors who you find just their movies are chock full of great lessons? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Great question. So, I mean, the the obvious one for me is John Hughes. Mm. And I think that's because... I am an 80s kid through and through, and so many of his stories uh, still, I believe, resonate today, Uh, and there's some great lessons in him. He just knew how to develop a character. He knew how to tell a great story, and he knew how to to feed on all of your emotions, and and he had great dialogue. I mean, great dialogue, and that's what I look for. I look for quotes from movies that I can turn into lessons, and so I think John Hughes would definitely be one. Cameron Crowe is another. Good. Now he kind of, you know, had some great stuff in the nineties as well, obviously, but um, Cameron Crowe, Fast Times at Ridgemount High and 
say anything. Um, so, you know, I think there's, he's, he's a great one too. And it comes down to the dialogue and the characters. It, are there movies that you think get too much exposure from the 80s? Like you, you talk about Breakfast Club and I, it's a movie I've, I've seen obviously scores of times, but I, I feel like I've gotten to the point now where I've, I've milked every ounce of wisdom or water out of that rock. Are, are there ones where you still feel like you could go to, you can go back to them over and over and over again and still find more, you know, great moments or interesting ideas or lessons. And, or are there ones where you're just like, man, I just, that's just, there's no, there's no, <laughs> that's just skin and bones now. Yeah, that's, a, I, I think so. I mean, the breakfast club, what, what makes the breakfast club great. And I get it. It, it really, when people think about the eighties, one of the first things that comes to mind is a breakfast club. And then of course, don't you forget about me tends to be kind of like the, the iconic 80s song. Although I would argue that um, there are better ones, particularly when it comes to uh, alternative music. Um, some really, really good alt music that came out of the eighties sure. uh, that, that people don't uh, talk about quite as much, but uh, yes, I mean, I think it depends. The, the dialogue is really what it comes down to. I, I think there are some that, can be squeezed a little too much, um, possibly the breakfast club. Although I think I've only just kind of scraped the tip of the iceberg on what that movie can teach us. And I'm still shocked that no one has um, brought it to Broadway because I think it's the perfect uh, movie to transition to sure. theater. One set. Uh, it's one set. It's one set. I'm, I'm shocked that we are, how many years ahead? Uh, six. I lose track sometimes. Thirty-six years beyond it coming out, and uh, or thirty-five years beyond it coming out, and we're still we still don't have it in Broadway. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that's a thing with the state of John Hughes. That I, I, I'm imagining they have somewhat of a stranglehold on on his characters and his his storylines and whether, what can be used with them. Because you've never seen it, you don't see any sequels to his stuff as well. I mean, for, for I presume the same reason. Yeah, I, although I just did hear that they're going to do a remake of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> and I, I am of the ilk that I, I just don't like the 80s remakes. I like the 80s sequels. Uh, I like uh, if we're going to, you know, we're going to obviously move into Cobra Kai here. I want to answer your question first. But, uh, but these sequels that are coming now are so much better than a remake because – what makes the 80s, what made the 80s pop culture and 80s movies great is these iconic characters that no one else can play, in my opinion. Sure. No one else can be Axel Foley. Eddie Murphy is Axel Foley. I, I, I mean, I love Kevin Hart and I love his movies. And if they were to choose him to be Axel Foley, he'd probably be the best choice. But no one else can be Axel Foley. Um, no one else can be, maybe this is the point with The Breakfast Club. No one else can be Ferris Bueller. Matthew Broderick is Ferris Bueller. Domino's Pizza tried it with the kid from Stranger Things at the commercial. Yeah, it was funny, and they, they caught a lot of the essence of it. But you couldn't make a movie today and say, this is Ferris Bueller now. Correct. Uh, you couldn't make a movie and say, anybody else is Lloyd Dobler or Prince Akeem from Coming to America. That's yeah. Eddie Murphy as well. Uh, I could go on and on, but... You know, the, 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 the remakes just don't work because I think those characters are iconic. I'd like to just see them re-release the movies, in my opinion. So, so that brings us to an interesting point because you say you like the sequels better than, the, than the, the remakes. So you have something like a Cobra Kai, which I think right now is enjoying finally the, 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 the spotlight it has deserved since it first came around. It is, I don't know how, how you feel about it, but I just think it's pure genius. It's fantastic. 
It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely love it. And I, uh, I think what's great about Cobra Kai is they're the ones who took, I don't, the risk, I guess, and said, hey, let's, let's try this. Let's take those characters and see what they're doing today. And now they're talking about doing that with a number of different movies from the 80s. I've heard five or six that they're seriously considering doing this with, which could be really, really interesting. And then, of course, I also heard they're going to do it The Sandlot, which is a 90s movie that feels 80s, and it's going to be based in 1988 or 1989. So there you go. Still has an 80s feel. Uh, I love Cobra Kai because I think William Zabka is a great actor, and I'm so glad to see him getting a second chance. Yeah. Not that he wasn't working before, but this is a huge opportunity. Yeah. What, 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 what to me, what's so interesting about Zabka is he, he might rightfully so win the title of best eighties villain overall. He's, he's a, he was a villain in practically every movie he, he appears in, in the eighties. So you've got karate kid and you've got um, back to school and you have just one of the guys. I mean, he just plays the bully so yes. well that you can't see him as anything else. <laughs> and so when the show comes out and it's, oh my God, it's from Zabka's point of view and, and suddenly he becomes a little sympathetic. I mean, it was, I don't know who came up with that spin on it, but man, you know, my hat's off. It, it just completely works. Uh, he comes off a lot sympathetic and I absolutely love his character because he, they, they, they wrote him as a real character they really made him raw, which is how you would expect him to be. Yeah. Uh, we all know guys like him. You know, I mean, he's, he's still, still driving the Camaro, still has the jean jacket, still, you know, I, I mean, he just, he's, he is, um, he's a real guy. There are real guys like that out there right now today. And they wrote him exactly as you would think he would be. And that's what I really love about his character. And I also think Cobra Kai, what's great about it is that it's just the right amount of cheesy 80s as well. I mean, listen, I love the 80s, I love 80s pop culture, but if you go back and look at some of the movies, you look at how some things were drawn out and how the, um, I don't know, the, the, the loves, the romance scenes happen and the music that they used. And Cobra Kai is doing a great job of tying that in and using great production values as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine a movie like Karate Kid, any any of the Karate Kid movies, probably, but especially the first one, had to be like that. To me, is like got to be like the like the sponge cake of uh, when it comes to uh, you know advice for the workplace and for life, right? Totally, uh, Mr. Miyagi. I mean, he's you know when I think about him, his character, it makes me relax just thinking about him. He is one, in my opinion, one of the greatest characters in movie history because of what he represents in the movie. Um, honor, integrity, um, ethics, morals, patience, discipline, all of these things. He is really a great character through and through. Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get the squish just like grip. One of the things that really comes out from him when, it, when we talk about lessons, this idea of, you know, right now, a lot of us are stressed, uh, whether we're in the workplace or not, there's a lot of stress. Uh, this idea of workplace wellness, people are working remote who never have before. They're scared. They don't know potentially what's going to happen with their job. They're, they're missing their coworkers. They're missing the camaraderie. They're missing the social interaction. And when he was teaching Daniel 
the whole wax on wax off scene. And he says, don't forget to breathe. Very important. And those, <laughs> those words are, they, they really, they tell a great story about stress and workplace wellness and managing stress. Because if you've ever had dehydration, I have stress is like dehydration. By the time you realize you have it, it's too late. Yeah. And this idea of not forgetting to breathe. And I don't mean in the, you know, the real sense breathe. Of course we luckily we all breathe involuntarily because I'm not that smart of a guy. And if we had to like think about breathing, probably wouldn't have made it to 50. Um, but uh, I, I think this idea that, that we could, the workplace wellness idea and the stress, stress relief, breathing can be a lot of different things. It can be stopping to get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. It can be playing with your kids, playing with your dog. It can be walking outside and just breathing the fresh air, whatever it is that you need to do when you feel that stress coming on. Those signs are always there. We can see them. And when we get stressed and we look back, we're like, gosh, I really saw those signs, but I missed, I just didn't pay attention. And then three or four days later, sometimes you're still trying to get that stress off of you mentally and physically. And so this idea of not forgetting to breathe, very important. And, you know, think of Mr. Miyagi when you're starting to feel that stress building up, because if you've ever had dehydration, it sucks. And when you have a bad case of stress, it sucks equally. And it takes a long time to get rid of it. So yeah, very powerful character. So for every Karate Kid movie out there, and, and, and I agree, I've written blog items over the past, like everything you need to learn in life, you can learn from a John Cusack movie. I wrote that. And I had awesome. 40 lines from him over the years. But I would also imagine that in, in the 80s collection of classics, there are some movies that I would think you would probably look at and say, look, I, I can't do anything with Blue Velvet. <laughs> or, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, love Re- I love Repo Man, but um, <laughs> aside yeah. from the plate of shrimp scene, I, I, don't, I don't know what I can bring to the workplace. Are, are, there, are there movies that you've looked at and just said, look, I love it, but... I'm not writing about this one anytime soon. Yes. Um, but before we get there, can I flip the script real quick? Yeah. Um, can I be the host and you be the guest? Yeah, sure. Okay. You just mentioned the, your blog that you did with the John Cusack. What's your favorite John Cusack character line? And if you can't give me one, give me two. Well, I mean, it's obviously that I don't want to buy anything that's been bought or processed <laughs> or sold. It's, it's the line from Say Anything where he basically yeah. describes all the things he doesn't want to do in his career. I, I think that's the one that comes um, to me. I, I think almost every one of his great lines is from that movie. I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, there's some great ones from, from uh, the, the white Sox movie. Eight men out, eight men out where he said, you know, guy who stick doesn't stick up for his buddies. I ain't got much to say about him that, you know, where he says that line, the um, sure thing. The sure, sure thing. thing. Some, yeah. yeah. You know, never had a sure thing my whole life or, you know, yeah. I, I, I quote the whole line about who invented liquid soap and why all the time. Like as it's <laughs> just like, it's just a sign that your brain is just like <laughs> overcommitted at the moment. Um, now there's so many to go for. What do you, do you have a personal favorite John Cusack one? Oh man. I, I you know, so now, <laughs> now I got to call. Uh, there's so many, um, you know, I, I love the, uh, it's not like a, I guess it's kind of like a snarky line that he says back to those guys uh, uh, when they're at the uh, gas and sip. And he says, well, if you guys know so much about women, what are you doing at gas and sip at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night with no girls in sight? By choice. You know, by choice, man, choice. And I'm like, Lloyd, Lloyd, all null and void. A dark comedy like Better Off Dead, that's got to be a tough challenge to integrate into your book. 
So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because Better Off Dead is actually in my second book, as you know, and it's, uh, it's, it actually is a treasure trove. And I find that dark comedies actually really play well with some of the lessons, I think because they tend to be really smart, but they also have lines that make you laugh. Uh, and I think those are two things that are important, like, you know, laughing and then making you think. And if you can give me that in a movie, right. then for me, it resonates. And you grabbed it with Better Off Dead because you grabbed the line. Because I was going to say, you know, I'm, I read the book, obviously, and, and I know that you grabbed the line, go this way very fast. If something gets in the way, turn. <laughs> yes, Charles DeMar. <laughs> yeah, Charles DeMar is, should, should have an MBA in business management. Hell yes. So... This is pure snow, pure snow. This mountain, <laughs> see how much is, this mountain is worth? Yeah. Um, he... <laughs> so, yeah. So, and actually Diane Franklin wrote the forward for my book, which was a that. really exciting moment for me because I, I mean, I loved Monique as a, you know, as a 16 year old kid, of course, or a 17 year old kid. Monique was amazing, but I also loved that character uh, from Better Off Dead as well. So, you know, she, she played an amazing role and she was also a huge influence on his ability to overcome the challenges that he kind of put in front of himself because he was such a negative guy. Uh, but yes, paying your vendors on time, $2 cash. You know, that's a really important lesson, particularly for people that are freelancers. You know, we pay our, you pay your vendors on time, no matter how large or small. That's such an important thing to do. I mean, you don't want to get chased by a bunch of their friends in the middle of the night in a park, screaming $2 <laughs> on their bikes. Yeah. So there's quite a bit actually in Better Off Dead, I think, that we can, we can learn some valuable lessons for life and for the workplace. I know we're focusing a lot on movies here, but what about music? How has that influenced your writing? Are there lessons to be learned from the music of the 80s? Yes, great. I'm glad you brought that up uh, because, um, let's see here. I've got, uh, well, let's talk about a guy, a musician who we can call Michael Jackson the king of pop. I would call this guy the king of music. And he was a guy who loved the color purple and it was Prince. And Prince, I mean, the guy for me, uh, when I think of 80s music and influences and not just what he did, not just what people saw, Purple Rain, but the things that he wrote, you know, uh, Manic Monday for the Bangles and Nothing Compares to You for Sinead O'Connor. And I'm, I'm sure there are a number of other songs and, and um, uh, music that he composed. But one of the things he did behind the scenes in 1987, uh, now he was at the top in 1987. He was the king. And Suzanne Vega, if you, I'm sure you know her. Of course. Right? Yeah. So she had a song called Left of Center. And then she did a song called My Name is Luca, which is the song that really put her on the map. Uh, I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. That's the only singing you're going to get from me. I mean, <laughs> you'll thank me for that later. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Likewise. Yeah. No, only karaoke after a lot of Jack and Cokes or, you know, I guess Tito's at 50 now. Um, so he actually heard Luca and he was so moved by the song that he penned a handwritten note to her that said, Dear Suzanne, Luca is the most compelling piece of music I've heard in a long time. There are no words to tell you all the things I feel when I hear it. I thank God for you, Prince. Wow. Awesome. And if you look up this note online, you can find it online. If you're listening, you can look up this note. He has magical handwriting to go along with everything else that he did. It was magical. Now, how do we know that he wrote this note? Because back then there was no digital footprint. There was no digital means to get this to her. 
he had to physically, he had to somehow get this there. Someone had to get it to her and he had to make sure that she received it. Uh, 2016, when he passed away, Suzanne Vega put this out on her social media, I believe, to let people know the kind of guy he was behind the scenes. Yeah. He didn't look for the cameras. Like today, I think a lot of people do great things and nice things, and it's nice that they do them, but there's always a camera there. He did this because he teaches us a really valuable lesson about leaders and leadership. You know, those people that rule when they get the stage, they tend to keep everybody below it. Leaders share the stage of success. They let people know when they see them doing something great and they encourage them because encouragement doesn't cost a thing. Encouragement is free. It doesn't cost a thing. And, you know, do you think that Suzanne Vega was encouraged by this note from Prince? Do you think this gave her a boost of self-confidence? I mean, I would like to think so. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, I put this out on Twitter and she liked it when I put the little lesson out, which was an awesome moment for me, but it validated that, yes, this had a huge impact on her. And this is something that he did uh, because he believed that she was doing great things and he wanted her to know. He didn't care if anybody else knew that he did this. That wasn't the point. The point was, hey, Suzanne, I think you're doing something great. Keep going. That's awesome. So are the lessons to be learned from music in the 80s, are they more based on the actions of the musicians of the 80s or, are they, or rather than the lyrics themselves? Because obviously the 80s gave us, you know, Live Aid, which to, to me anyway is sort of like the Woodstock of my time. Yeah. Yeah, so great question. Uh, I have been looking, and yes, there are a lot of lyrics, some very deep uh, that give us really valuable lessons, some not so deep, like everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody gets their job, so we're all working for the weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, there I, I do, and and I haven't approached that yet because there are some um, complications, I guess, legally with how you use mus- musical lyrics when you put them into a book. And I'm still doing some research on how I can actually create a book that ties back to specific lyrics and the lessons that we can gain from them, and even the events like Live Aid. Uh, and other large events that were happening uh, during the 80s, that's kind of where they kicked off. After, I mean, Woodstock was a you know, fun event, but then musicians got together for a cause, several causes um, in the 80s. And so I haven't gotten there yet. I just saw this note from Prince and my first instinct was, wow, this is amazing. And my second thought was, what does this tell us about this guy and about ourselves? So what are you up to these days? What, what projects are you working on next? So I'm working on a third book and the third book is going to be both workplace and life lessons. Nice. I really want to move into life lessons. And so, uh, you know, as an example, Vision Quest will be one of the movies in this third book. It's got some great life lessons. I think one of the greatest underrated monologues, first underrated movies from the 80s, but then secondly, underrated monologues in the 80s is Elmo, the six minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah six minutes I mean, on the mat. It's not that big a deal, Elmo. I mean, it's six lousy minutes on the mat, if that. Ever hear of Pele? Yeah, he's a uh, soccer player. Very famous soccer player. There's a room here one day. I'm watching a Mexican channel on TV. I don't know nothing about Pele. I'm watching what this guy can do with a, a ball on his feet. Next thing I know, he jumps up in the air and flips into a somersault and uh, kicks the ball in upside down and backwards. 
The goddamn goalie never knew what the fuck hit him. <laughs> Pele gets excited and he rips off his jersey and starts running around the stadium, waving it around over his head. Everybody's screaming in Spanish. I'm here sitting alone in my room. I start crying. Yeah, that's right, I start crying. There's another human being, a species which I happen to belong to. I kick a ball. Lift himself. The rest of us sat as human beings up to a better place to be, if only for a minute. Let me tell you, kid, it was pretty goddamn glorious. Eight to six minutes. That's what happens in that six minutes. Unbelievable how that does not get more play as one of the great scenes in 80s movies. So I'm working on that one. I'm also doing a lot of speaking. So obviously it's virtual right now. Um, but I recently spoke to Visa at their learning festival and I have a number of speaking engagements coming up um, when I post them on social media pretty frequently. I'm excited to get back on stage, you know, next year. Uh, I really feed off of the energy of an audience and it's fun to see people from their twenties and their sixties, not just people in their forties and fifties, but people from those kind of bookend generations get excited about 80s pop culture as well. So I'm doing that. I'm also I'm doing a little bit of podcast hosting. I'm, you know, a guest on a lot of podcasts as well, which is awesome. And I'm doing a lot of writing. I wrote a short story that has nothing to do with 80s pop culture, but it does have pop culture references in it. So we have a tradition here uh, on the Stuck in the 80s podcast. Um, I'm not sure you're familiar with it. It's called the Podcast Time Machine. Uh, basically, it's the concept that uh, my co-host Brad and I have invented a time machine and it can take you back in time to either change an event in your life or witness an event you might have missed or witness an event you just kind of want to see again, uh, whatever you want. If we gave you, Chris Clues, a seat <laughs> on the podcast time machine, what would you do with it? So um, I would say that, uh, yeah, I would go back to my uh, prom, senior prom, and I would change our theme song to Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue, which was what no. I wanted. <laughs> Not, uh, I had the time of my life from Dirty Dancing. That way I wouldn't have night terrors like I do now. Uh, I would say, um, no, to get serious, because Netflix has a documentary on this recently and it reminded me of the impact of this moment. It was a space shuttle Challenger exploding and I would want to take that moment back and have that crew go safely into space and safely return. Uh, the, The space shuttle was such a huge thing in the 80s and it was really amazing to watch as a kid. Uh, These These people, go into space. It was incredible. And they rolled the TVs into the classroom for the space shuttle challenger in 86 to, and we watched it explode. And it was, it was horrifying. And as an adult now, looking back, I think about the crew, I think about their families and the impact, the wider impact it had on all those families and that diverse crew that went up into space led by Krista McAuliffe, who was a teacher and became an astronaut. I mean, that is awesome. And so I would have, I would really go back and change that because we're 14, 34 years beyond that. And imagine what all of them could have and would have accomplished and contributed to society had they gone up safely and returned safely. That's, a, that's an actually really um, selfless use of the, the time machine scene. I, I applaud you for that. 
Well, thanks. I, I have my moments. <laughs> hey, Chris, thanks for being on the show. We look forward to talking to you again when you have your next book out. So uh, I would say if you want to follow me, chrisclues.com, C-H-R-S-C-L-E-W-S.com is my website. And then I'm on uh, Instagram at chrisclues80s. Twitter, believe it or not, just two years ago, I was able to get at 80s pop culture. I don't oh, know nice. how that was available, but <laughs> it's too, too bad we can't go back 20 years and I could squat on that for a URL because I could probably make some money at yeah. uh, 80s pop culture, Facebook, Chris Clues and LinkedIn, Chris Clues. Um, so, and then, you know, if you're looking for somebody to speak at your virtual conference or event about 80s pop culture and what it can teach us, uh, let's talk. Sounds great. So there we go. The books again are called What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. And you can find them on Amazon.com and find out more about Chris at ChrisClues.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-C-L-E-W-S.com. Not, not clues like the movie. It's not can the I, board game clues. You know, it's, it's funny because Chris says the, the movie from the 80s that he hasn't seen that that gets the most attraction is uh, Dirty Dancing. The, the movie from the 80s that I've never seen that everyone gives me grief over, now that I've seen E.T., is the movie Clue. Really? You've never seen Clue? Uh, you know, I have fond memories of it, but I almost it's one of those movies where I'm kind of afraid to go back and watch it again. Like, is it going to hold together? I don't know. Wadsworth, right in thinking there is nobody else in this house. Mm, no. Then there is someone else in this house. No, sorry. I said no meaning yes. No meaning Yes. Look, I want a straight answer. Is there someone else or isn't there? Yes or no? Um, no. No, there is or no, there isn't. Yes. Praise! I don't know. People still sing its praises, and I know it had, what, three or four different possible endings yeah, in the theaters? That was the shtick, is that there were three endings. You could choose which theater you went to which, by which ending they were showing. And then when they released the DVD, or oh, who am I kidding? When it came out on VHS tape, <laughs> uh, it had all three of them on there. Or maybe this happened. Or maybe this happened. That'd be fun. It was, it's interesting because yeah. I, when I was talking to Chris, I, in my mind, I had it that there's some movies that you just don't have any practical lessons from. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking Beetlejuice. But what I spit out was Better Off Dead. Huh. That's a strange Freudian slip. When you started talking about Monique, I was sure I would have bet all of your retirement money, Steve, that he was going to bring up a line about the line about success. I think all you need is a small taste of success and you will find it suits you. I just I thought that was going to be there for sure. And, and he doesn't. It, he, he left me hanging. That <laughs> better be in the book, Spearsy, or I want my money back. It might be. I'll have to go back and reread that chapter. Obviously, I was uh, at that point, I was so... Uh, frazzled by the by making the Beetlejuice uh, better off dead confusion. The other thing I took away from that interview, Steve, is that it is possible to make a career as an 80s guy. And we are on the first step of that, just like he was. This is our side hustle. It's a very small side hustle. We're going to be as old as those guys in the Muppets before we finally make this into a full-time job, but that's, uh, I'll, I'll that's take okay that. with me. I could sit in a balcony and be snarky at other puppets. No problem. Well, they say all good things come to an end. What's that got to do with this show? <laughs> you know what else I could be snarky about right now? The, the Seggies. Ah, the mystical and yet somewhat refreshing taste of listener mailbag. Now 30% less calories. We had a letter this week from Nathan Chops Johnson whose name is so difficult to pronounce it just took me three takes to get through it. Brad, you got time to read? 
I can do this. I can do this, especially with the magic of editing. Nate writes, hey, guys. I'm a bit late on this one, but I wanted to reply about Xanadu. Oh, my God. More Xanadu? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Xanadu. 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 <laughs> oh, you did this to me on purpose. Make me talk about Xanadu. Okay. Okay. I'm the team player. Here we go. Start over. I'm a bit late on this one, but I wanted to reply about that one movie and a couple other things. So I apologize for the long email. When I was living in Nashville in college, I knew a guy that was the store artist, and he would, in fact, blow up album covers to display. Some would be printed from a file on a giant printer, but since it was the 90s and digital files, which were scanned, sent on a hard disk, were extremely limited at that time, a light projector was used for non-digital files, and he'd paint on foam core with airbrush and a regular bristle brush, a regular bristle brush to recreate the artwork. He was also the DJ at Nashville's only 80s new wave goth club called The Underground. They spent a lot of time workshopping that, didn't they, Nate? (laughs) That played that era's music on Sunday nights. I went to class tired on many a Monday morning. Also, the Pacific Auditorium is a public skate park now, and there is one spire left. I've been there a few times showing friends around. Brad, you may have passed it heading to the Grove. He assumes I actually leave my house. It is just a few blocks away on Beverly Boulevard. I drove past it for years, and I didn't realize it. This week, I watched Mannequin, and it is kind of just a remix of the Xanadu plot, but with an Egyptian theme. Creative guy gets fired for being creative and not productive. Hot babe from another time and dimension shows up to validate his creativity, inspire him, and save him. They fall in love. Ah. There's also dance scenes and fashion montages. I can't decide if Estelle Getty is the boss with the history of the department store in her memory as the Gene Kelly character, or if it's Meshach Taylor as Hollywood who gets that nod. Also, each film has a hit song that is a guilty pleasure. <gasps> Look at him with a dumpy. Who are you to criticize? Still hopelessly stuck in the 80s, Nate Chops Johnson. Wow, he nails it on Mannequin. I, 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 I would never have made that connection. I had the same exact reaction while I was reading it. My mouth hung further and further open. Uh, That's... He just he nails it. And, and I have to sit here and say... I will watch Mannequin anytime it's on. It's so over-the-top, cartoony, ridiculous, but I love it. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a certain level. It is 80s cheese. It's Armand is the wind. <laughs> uh, we love your letters. Just send them to podcast at sit80s.com. It's time for I Want My Mystery TV Theme Song. There's been much discussion about how little discussion there's been about this week's theme song. We played mm. this uh, three or four weeks ago, and nobody got it right. So we played it again, and finally we have some winners. So here yeah. was the extended clip we played. That's the theme to Hawaiian Heat. Good 
I, it gets harder and harder to pick out these uh, theme songs, and uh, I'm, I was just happy that I finally found something that um, Chris Cooling didn't at least get the first time around. So yeah, seriously. Anyway, read the winners. Chris Cooling took that 0-1 pitch, though, and he took you deep on it. Winners this <laughs> week did. include Jenny and Sam Styles, Danny Geister, and Chris Cooling from Forgotten TV, who writes, The answer to this obscure show is Hawaiian Heat, running from September to December 1984 on ABC, the American Broadcasting Corporation. Listeners shouldn't feel bad that they didn't get it. I've never even seen an episode since we were watching V, the series, on at the same time. Even so, the show appears generic and lackluster in line with ABC's new offerings that season. That's editorializing right there, okay? (laughs) That's not my opinion. That's his opinion. With the exception of a couple hits, Heat was replaced in January with Street Hawk, which is well-remembered and will be on Forgotten TV in the coming months. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I guess we don't have to really spin the wheel. I guess we can play rock, paper, scissors to find out who the winner is this week, right? (laughs) Okay. You ready? Ready? One, two, Mm. three. Mm. Mm. What'd you get? I got scissors. I got rock. Rock meets scissors. Curse you, Spearsy. We'll give the swag to Jenny and Sam Styles. How about that? Sound good? Excellent. Send us your postal address, guys, and we will uh, send you some swaggerino. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery TV theme song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in next time to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this message. Four men are drawn to an ancient Anglo-Saxon fort, site of a fierce battle. They enter the shadows of a ring of trees, and without warning, one of them is grabbed by an unseen force, lifted five feet in the air, and suspended for 30 full seconds. There are so many hints of a world more remarkable than we ever imagined, and of abilities that we barely suspect. Mommy, all I could think of was you. I know. Send for your first volume on a free trial basis and see if you can explain these things away. To order your first book, Mystic Places, call 1-800-572-2400. Examine it for 10 days. Keep it and pay just $12.99 plus shipping and handling. Other books will follow, one about every other month. Keep only the ones you want, cancel at any time. And we're back, and let's play an old game we like to call Please Please Tell Me Now. Hey, so we got a letter from Mike and Oz. I'm going to assume that's nice. Australia. We're making nice with the Aussies these days. Yeah. We should say more so. nice things about NXS and Midnight Oil. Really get on their good side. <laughs> they got the new music out. So, Anyway, Brad is, is feeling uh, plucky today, so we'll let him read the, the question. Oh, my gosh. It took me about eight takes to get through that last letter. Here we go. Feeling good, though. I'm going to get it all back right now. Mike writes, hey, guys. You recently talked about the, quote, amazing acting of Air Supply in the video clip for Making Love Out of Nothing at All in episode 568, the Close But No Cigar show for number two songs from 1983. Oh my gosh, you guys, that video. I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done recording this. It's so good. It reinforces why some artists should stick to their craft and save us all from irreparable damage to the eyeballs. There are a number of terrible 80s songs I enjoy that fall way short in the video clip idea, execution, or acting. Songs like Invisible Touch by Genesis, Hello, Drumstick Miming, Frank Stallone's Far From Over, or Laura Branigan's Self-Control, a clip that includes a bizarre and really creepy old man in a mask following Branigan around, a dance orgy, and a hallway of jazz hands. I mean, seriously, what the hell is going on there? 
I know it's difficult talking about music video clips on a podcast, but could you please, please tell me now what songs you love to listen to but struggle to watch as they serve to remind you of what should have stayed stuck in the 80s? Mm. Hmm. First, let me just say, the drumstick miming doesn't bother me because everyone does that. I'm doing it right now. It was great. I nailed it. Different Genesis song, but still. Actually, that's Phil Collins. Oh, that's right. See? People pay us for this expertise? Oh, that's right. No, I know. Can don't. you believe that? Oh, wait. It's, <laughs> no. Here's my answer. Thanks to Brad for basically giving me an answer. Because <laughs> I'm totally in denial about bad music videos. Uh, Separate Ways, Worlds Apart by Journey, when they're all playing air instruments. That might have been cool in the early 80s. <laughs> might have been. Might have been. But it yeah. is just unwatchable now. It just looks silly. Still a fun song. It is. What's your pick? Okay, my pick, and I may have talked about this on the show before, the video for I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. I love Flock of Seagulls' first album. I, I Honestly, I think that album can do no wrong, and I'm almost willing to just forget anything else happened in Flock of Seagulls' land. And when you saw this video at the time, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. What's happening? It's just like, it's just swirling and twirling. And it's just so cool. And I, I distinctly remember seeing it again maybe 15 years ago now and realizing, hang on a second. Those are cheap mirrors surrounding a video camera wrapped in aluminum foil, like a tripod that's just wrapped in aluminum foil. That's the whole thing. The shoot cost about what 30 bucks for some mirrors yeah. and a roll of tinfoil it just is so stupid looking and I, I can't watch that now without being like i can't believe i like this what is wrong I, with me i have one more i just popped into my mind when you were describing that video is pretty much any of the missing persons videos from the early <laughs> 80s where it's like uh hey joe do you have any like white paint tarps yeah yeah i got a whole truckload of them uh, bring them on over here let's just what do you want me to do with them i uh, just throw them around just yeah leave, leave them over there in the corner we'll come up with something by the way do you have any like sort of soft metallic stuff that we could uh i don't know use some wire cutters and make into like a bikini yeah 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 i got half a truck of that over here uh, bring that over too it's just okay i don't know what your kids Take- are up to there in the studio but have a good time and action Hey, I still I still love them. I, if they're on right now, when we finish this podcast, after I pour my uh, thirty two ounce bourbon, then we'll we'll see. <laughs> hey, we love your questions. Uh, as always, send them to us. I put PPTMN in the subject line and the email address. Brad, I forget. Why, Steve? It's podcast at sit eighties dot com. Hey, we got a few minutes left. We have some new patrons to thank. We do. We are. Again, we say this every week, but we are so grateful to those of you who are continuing to support the show. It really means the world to us, and it does help us keep the show going, for which we are grateful. Our new patrons this week are Michael Dodd, Chuck Coverley, and Christopher Vern Varney. Vern. Like thank it. you, thank you, thank you. Thank you indeed. Hey, that's all we have time for this week. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Chris Clues. Remember, you can find his book on Amazon.com. But in the meantime... Stick with us because we're going to remain here, Brad and myself, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening.
answer to this obscure show is hallow is Halloween heat. Oh my god. 